1: So. If his protection is gone and your enemies are near If you've seen the seas spill over And the mountains shake, break, and fall If the moon ever turns blood red And you can't see the sun at all Rise
0: up. good evening and welcome to new abolitionist radio it is a Wednesday evening here on the black talk radio network today's day is December the 7th 2016. I stumbled there coming on air because uh I don't normally do the opening for this program I'm usually just uh engineering most of the programs in this program and so but max has some things to do some things to take care of so he will not be with us tonight, but I am expecting, uh, Johannen to join us as, uh, we bring you this broadcast, a new abolitionist radio, uh, kind of going to be free flow tonight, so let me go ahead and give out those telephone numbers, uh, the telephone number is 866- 510 There theres a 704 number, but I haven't memorized it yet, as we do have this new uh, conferencing system that we're using. Uberconference.com slash Black Talk Radio Network is how you'll get to our permanent uh, page where you can also dial in from your computer. As I see, we already have some people dialed in uh, on the new system. If you want to unmute yourself, you have to hit star star. So when the hosts uh, open up the lines and say that, just just unmute yourself. We'll see you on the board. We'll call out your name or your area code. Uh, let me speaking of the board. Let me check the board and see if we got Johanna on. Okay, yeah, we do got Johan in on. He is, uh, how's it going tonight, brother?
2: Peace, peace to the abolitionists. Good to be here once again. How you feeling?
0: Uh, I'm feeling okay. <laughs> you know, I know these are just small talk, and, and we've been, just grew up and trained to to ask these sort of questions but man I'm suffering behind these (laughs) enemy lines you know because I got that from like Gus T Renegade of, of the cows when people ask him how he doing he just keep it real he say I'm doing right poorly you know we, under a system of racism uh it's practice legalized slavery is going to be practiced, and that is the theme of this program. This is why this program was born to help educate people on the fact that uh slavery is happening, So the best I could say is that I'm not on a prison plantation, so I'm doing better than uh, possibly the 1 million, 1.5, 2 point, you know, the figures are, are pretty high. I wouldn't call it mass incarceration because that is not anywhere near a majority of the people. But what does that matter? We're talking about slavery. And I think if one person is enslaved, that's one too many. What about you?
2: I agree. That's why we do it. If it's just one person, all these stories that we talk about every week, Whether it's one person being raped, whether it's one person being boiled to death, whether it's one person being maced to death, whether it's one person being beat to death, whether it's one person being killed in any kind of way in custody, being starved in any kind of way in custody, being hogtied and left in the middle of their cell for days and starved and not given any water and washed down with a water hose, left in their cell to die from gangrene, from I mean, the things we've reported, if it was just one, it would be enough. But like you said, knowing that the numbers are in the millions, and even among those millions that are incarcerated, we also know that there's at least three, up to maybe 5% or more, that would be readily recognized as uh, falsely accused, falsely imprisoned. So out of two million people, you know, you could easily have a hundred thousand people that they shouldn't even be there no way, let alone recreational drug use, nonviolent crimes, you know, that have put people behind bars. I mean, yeah, there's no reason for us not to uh, to get into this and do what we do and go even harder and find new ways every day to, to, to some kind of way break through. But like you said, when you ask people how they doing, I mean I understand what you mean. It's it's a matter of we living in a domestic colony. You know, and for the most part, black folks are just trying to cope bottom line, just trying to cope just you know some cope by by revolting, some cope by resisting some some cope by researching and finding information, trying to educate people, some cope by creating their own businesses and trying to become autonomous with with their own finances and hire people and build up their communities, some cope by getting high. Some cope by trying to ignore it and trying to assimilate and integrate themselves into the system of white supremacy. I mean, it's, but that's all any of us is doing is trying to cope, man.
0: Well, I hope that we are inspiring people to do more than cope. And there is always that 5% who see this as a matter of life and death. And they try to do something um, like the prison strike, the national prison strike, largest in U.S. history, which we would call a slave rebellion. I mean, this is the language that the prisoners themselves have adopted in pointing to the 13th Amendment, and those on the outside, uh, standing on the outside of the prison, some of the videos we saw. Um, But total media, blackout on that, um, except for on this network, obviously, and then people through their own social media accounts, you know, pushing out the information. Um, But um, I am thankful for a couple of uh propaganda victories I, I you know let me put it this way on sunday on time for awakening radio i had an opportunity to uh speak to a black scholar and an elder by the name of dr caruthers and she had participated in a recent conference that was in philadelphia and you know we had these conferences going on around the country all the time whether they are are just black people dealing among themselves whether they are what they call uh interracial integrated coalitions and we had these conferences all the time and except for the conference that you and max attended where this program and max received an award for for our contribution to pointing out this hey this ain't mass incarceration this is legalized slavery and we're pointing you to the language uh in the 13th amendment that backs up and every week we do this program and we bring story after the story after the story and we put it into context for for people because the context that the media is presenting is one of just simply oh the drug war uh good guys versus the bad guys the police versus the criminals and and, you know, uh, uh, we had to turn to the alternative media, which I'm going to start calling the truth media, to really grasp what's going on. And I'm seeing more and more of that. So I had asked her, how come at these conferences they don't ever bring up that this is slavery? They're adopting Miss Alexander's language that this is mass incarceration and it's not it's slavery nobody's taking this because we keep talking about slavery in past tense well then if you talk about something that's in past tense then that mean that problem has been solved right right that's that, you mean logically speaking grammatically speaking if we're speaking of something that is in the past you know back in the day we used to be slaves or they brought slaves over here or brought in you know people here and enslaved them and we but that this is something different no it's not anything different it's not anything different and 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 why aren't this this um why isn't this being presented to the masses of people so she said, you know, she recognized the fact that slavery was never abolished. And Dr. Carruthers said that we had to do or take it upon ourselves to push out this information and, and what have you. And I appreciated her answer, and I informed her, yeah, I, yes, we all need to do more. I am part of a radio program. But when I read the 13th Amendment four years ago, that's what it compelled me to do. But how come we're not hearing all our smart, educated black scholars who, who, if we talk to them on a black radio program on black talk radio network or in private conversations. They'll, they'll agree with us all day long and, and you're right. And they'll even give us information and knowledge that we didn't even, you know, another angle that we may not have considered. So they contribute to, it. but then when we had these conferences where all of these black leaders, educators, academia, uh, 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 people in politics, all these different areas of business, and you have an audience of all these black people or any people, and you don't point it to them and say, look, I know this goes against what you were programmed and taught in school. I know this goes against the Spielberg movies and Hollywood movies. I know this goes against the recent 150th anniversary uh, gay love that the U.S. government had, Uh, commemorating the passage of the 13th amendment but people it did not abolish slavery it set the legal parameters for what y'all calling mass incarceration and so and and, and, so um, I put that question out there and so now we have uh, another attorney to add to the mix and this is one of our stories and we could jump right in but uh, one of our stories is Michael Cord uh, attorney, people's attorney, activist, radio personality in the city of Philadelphia published an article in the Philly, Philly Tribune. Uh, says that the slavery trapdoor remains a blot in the Thirteenth Amendment. So I'm 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 hopeful about that because all the other stories, man, it's nothing but more murdering, more killing, more slave catching, more excuses of 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 why we must keep allowing these things to go on. So, I, uh, um, yeah, so where, where you want to jump right in, Johanan, or did you have any further opening comments?
2: Well, yeah, we could get into it. I saw that uh, Max had added that link, and, and just from his notes that he uh, added to it was saying that he felt, you know, he, of course, agreed, but was saying that they – this is the one where some of – Uh, Jamal Green, Vice Dean and Professor
0: of Law at Columbia Law School? No, that's not the article. That's not the one. That's a different one. You're talking about the story of Common Interpretation of 13th Amendment. Uh So we'll hit off these two stories uh, first. So you open up that one you're talking about and and so you can give us your assessment, but I'm going to open up the one by Mr. uh, Michael Cord. Um, What is the name of his program? It's on WURD up there in Philadelphia, but he's known as the people's attorney. He's been a a guest of mine going back to, I interviewed him about avenging the ancestors coalition up there when, um, they uh, forced the city of Philadelphia to rebury or not rebury, but, um, treat the graves of some of george washington's victims that they uncovered while they were trying to do renovations at the president house and here is his victims basically buried in the backyard so that's how i met him or came to know him back in 2007 so this is this is what he says slavery trapdoor remains blocked in 13th amendment First of all, our ancestors were no damn slaves. They were African and African-American Amen. human beings who were kidnapped and held in brutality, nightmarish bondage by evil evil human beings with guns. They were not slaves as a noun, but were enslaved as a verb. In fact, the word slave actually comes from the medieval Latin of uh, the period between 300 and 900 A.D. word, uh, sclavus. Because of the many Slavs, primarily Slovaks, Russians, Poles, Ukrainians, Czechs, and other Eastern Europeans who frequently had been conquered and forced into labor by other Europeans, uh, i.e. like Germans... Uh, The British or, or yeah, the British on December the 6th. It will be exactly 150 years ago that the 13th Amendment was ratified by the states, thereby becoming a law of the land in 1865. Many people mistakenly believe this amendment ended slavery and involuntary servitude. It did not. It simply created slavery by another name. Section 1 of the 13th Amendment says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States. Therefore, it means that slavery and involuntary servitude as a punishment for crime, now this is a criminal defense attorney talking, shall exist within the United States. Yes, that's precisely what it means. In other words, instead of allowing the enslavement of people simply because they were black, it allowed the enslavement, actually the involuntary servitude of people victimized by newly created criminal laws. Those laws, known as black codes, were passed beginning in 1865 for the sole purpose of legalizing the criminalization of recently enslaved blacks and doing so in a manner directly consistent with the tricky language of the section one of the 13th amendment. And it must be noted the Congress that passed it. Now he gets into some important research here and it must be noted the Congress that passed this amendment included, the former Confederate vice president. These are traitors, man, that should have been, whose uh, neck should have been on a chopping block. If you really look back in the history of warfare and even among Europeans fighting themselves, you know, there was right. no welcoming them back into the fold. You betrayed us. You gonna get the firing squad. You gonna get, no. So it says, it must be noted, the Congress that passed this amendment included the former Confederate vice president six former Confederate cabinet officers, 58 former members of the Confederate Congress, four former Confederate generals, and five former Confederate colonels. These redneck racist congressmen were so pleased with the trap they laid in the 13th Amendment that they, with northern complicity, got it ratified in record time a mere 10 months. After first being introduced in Congress, the black codes, which were passed in the South with the North Coast signing, were part of the one-two punch. The one punch was the 13th Amendment's maliciously racist punishment for crime language, and the two punch was the codes themselves, which succeeded in throwing so-called free blacks back into slave-like conditions via new criminal laws. And and we and, and you can read uh, uh rest, he gives a, a couple of examples of this, but it is on the phillytrip.com phillytrip.com The um um title is Slavery Trapdoor Remains Blocked and Thirteenth Amendment. It was written by Mr. Michael Cord, an attorney at law. Uh, also radio personality up in Philly on W U R D and he published this on uh, just three days ago on December the, well, actually, you know what? This was published in 2015 now that I'm looking at it.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Man, he went into depth. So he went into depth on it uh, with the, with some of the points that I had only seen before in like uh, Dennis Child's book, uh, Slaves of the State, uh, people that get into the constitutional history you know, aspect of it, the, the setup of our government immediately after Civil War and the people that were a part of it and kind of who they were and where they came from. I mean, that's the type of uh, insight, uh, the type of depth of, of understanding, you know, how this is a racist law, how it was race-based, you know, how it came to life, what it was meant to do. I mean, you you need to know who the cooks are to understand why – you should believe us when we tell you somebody Fixed you a poison meal Like these people just want to take that amendment And act like oh well it's a law, it's a part of the constitution I mean it's a part of our laws All laws are inherently Righteous All laws are created to to help Make sure that justice Is offered to everybody Equality goes to, that's what laws are for right So for you to even propose That the 13th amendment is racist Race based Some kind of way had an evil inspiration or was some kind of way sneaking in uh, a, a provision to continue on the most evil undertaking, you know, that mankind can carry out against one another. That's kind of where the disconnect comes in. People just don't want to believe that a law could be evil. But right, you gotta look right. at who created the
0: law. Right. And his radio show is called Radio Courtroom. And it can be heard yeah, on radio w, uh, W-U-R-D. the W R D. Yeah, W U R D nine hundred A. M. if you're in Philly. Uh shout out to Mr. Cord. Uh and thank you to who shared this article. Either Killed by Police or Cop Watch or 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 Pig Watch. One of those facebook pages sh- had shared this article but i had never come across it so i guess they were sharing it because um you know how it'll tell you what show you what you shared up to one year ago or something so i appreciate mm-hmm. them resharing this because um i mean we've often said i i know i remember i've often said that this was the compromise between the north and the south to end the war lincoln met with the confederate traitors and said look we actually don't disagree too much about the state of black people you know uh i actually would like to like to send them all back to africa because i just they're just inherently inferior so so what have you but um you know we can't we can't uh, allow y'all to just openly do this no more so what you going to do what y'all got for us and they came up with the 13th amendment ended the war ended the war now no white men or are dying to end slavery because clearly that's what it had become about once 200,000 black people entered into the union service not to mention the guerrilla fighters out there as well whose numbers we may never know but they were done but but they used that that Lincoln was a lawyer well have we all that stereotype about the lawyer sometimes it's true you know but here we have Mr. Cor an attorney pointing you out the insidious nature of the 13th amendment and like Malcolm X saying they want to tell you and me that the South lost the war that's why i be trying to tell these racist crackers around here man y'all ain't lost nothing what are you talking about the South was defeated and and y'all had a truce and y'all continue to practice slavery and lie to everybody else in the world what y'all had to be mad about All right well
2: they uh they really don't have nothing to be mad about but you know they uh it's, it becomes a situation where most of these racists uh, and racist suspects and racist proxies. Uh, it it seems to me that most of the time when you encounter these people, they just want to deflect any type of of uh, of criticism that you have that's based in fact, that's based in actual numbers, is based in actual you know case by case of of individuals caught up in the system and showing that the system is uh is designed to do what it's doing so when you come with facts and research and information and when you come in the spirit of righteousness scotty honestly i mean that's what we deal with if you if you can claim on one side that the system is evil you know, the slavery is evil and the undertaking is evil and, the, and what these people are doing if you say that then i mean you've got to acknowledge this where you come from is from the place of righteousness but when you can see that anyone, and that's what you're fighting for and what you stand for, they just want to deflect. And that's where they come from, complaining. They're not complaining because they hurt They're not complaining because things are bad for them or because they don't have money. They don't have access. They can't get loans. They can't be protected by law enforcement. They can't openly carry guns and intimidate people and do whatever they want to they can't get land they can't get resources they're not complaining about those things they just want to complain and say oh we lost the war and in south again and have all these battle cries and rebel yells and all this other bull because they just want to deflect honest people righteous people from pointing out the truth and shining the light on the truth that slavery never ended
0: Um, Johanna, check the bars on your uh, phone, man, because you were sounding kind of mechanical, like we might lose you. We could hear you, but I can just detect that there's some issues. So check those bars on on your phone. But did you want to move into the other story uh, that Max had shared
2: about? Yeah, that's fine.
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, Well, just from his commentary, uh the story is a common interpretation. So this is kind of follows suit with what we just covered with the thirteenth. And from Max's commentary, he says uh, it's uh this is a story in Yahoo News by uh Jamal Green and Jennifer Jason McCoward. Uh and they're just talking about slavery and the Thirteenth Amendment and in, in their in, in uh interpretation. So this is a part of National Constitution Center's interactive constitution project, leading scholars across the the uh, legal and philosophical spectrum finding common ground on the Constitution's Articles, Amendments, and Provisions. In this essay, uh, Jamal Green and Jennifer Mason McAlward explain the 13th Amendment's broad implications which ended slavery in the United States. So of course, you know that caught Max's eye and uh, had him commenting right off. Since he's not here with us, I'll just read what he put. Uh, Jamal Green being the Vice Dean and Professor of Law Columbia uh, Law School, Professor of Law at Notre Dame School, He says, uh, it doesn't get any more quote-unquote expert than this. They're close, but they still have some thinking to do. Uh, From the article, the true abolition of slavery was achieved when the 13th Amendment was ratified on December 6, 1865. The first section of the Amendment declares "Neither slavery, nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. The amendment is unique in the Constitution because it bars every person from holding slaves or engaging in other forms of involuntary servitude, whereas most constitutional provisions only constrain or regulate the government. It's unique in another way as well, although the Constitution obliquely uh, acknowledged and in, uh, in accommodated slavery in its original text. The 13th Amendment was the first explicit mention of slavery in the Constitution. So... That's just commentary from the story, and I know uh, uh, Max was pointing out right off. I mean, the thing say there, saying that slavery was actually abolished, I mean, I don't think uh, regular listeners to this program, uh, you know, need to be keyed into that. That's, the obviousness is right there, and that's really what we argue against every single day, is just even that statement that it was actually abolished is obviously incorrect. As we often use the example, if you, if you say you're going to get married, and your husband or your wife says, well, I'll be monogamous with you except for when I find somebody new I want to be with. Well, then that's not monogamy. If you go into business with somebody and, and oh, man. say, okay, we're going to share these profits. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm glad
0: it, I did it, not have a mouthful of liquids at that time when you <laughs> used that example. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is.
2: You're, you're using slavery. You're proposing slavery to Americans by saying, Okay, we're gonna we're gonna say it's not there except when we want it to be there. And people just say, Okay, well, that sounds good enough. Close enough. as Long as it ain't me and mine, then we ain't got nothing to worry about. So um, we're up against our first break though, so I don't know if you wanna you wanna stop here on it and, and just kinda wrap it up when we come back.
0: Yeah, yeah, we'll go ahead and, and stop right there and also free flow tonight. Um you can give us a call if you have a question or comment, something you'd like to share at eight six six You can dial in from anywhere in the world. You can find out how by going to uberconference.com slash Network. Shout out to our friends in Africa and the diaspora. So we're going to take this station identification break. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio. Uh, We air this program every Wednesday night. At eight o'clock PM Eastern Time, discussing twenty first century slavery and human trafficking. Uh. Yeah. Uh.
1: And, <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. uh. yeah.
3: Black Talk Media Project funds the use of new media technology in efforts to restore independent black voices to the myriad of issues affecting Afro-descendant people all over the planet. If media can control the minds of the masses, as Malcolm X once said, then you must ask yourself, who is in control of the media targeting the masses of black people today? help bring back independence, self-determination and respect for black culture in the production of global media by joining the effort to crowdfund new black media for the new millennium. Visit blacktalkmediaproject.org for more information on how you can invest in public black radio
0: And welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. This is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from Behind Enemy Lines. As you hear me so often say on BTR News, which you could join me for those broadcasts every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. I take Wednesdays off so that I could join my comrades and help in the production and broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio. If you have a question, comments, something to add, you can hit us up at 866-510-9025. That's 866-510-9025. Hit star, star, and that will uh, put you on the board and into the conversation. Um, Max is off tonight, but we got Johan in here, the uh, uh, producer and former host of The Abolitionist Daily, so let's get back to the program all right
2: you need to get that abolitionist daily back up and going scotty yeah you i
0: thought to... i messed with you man and just <laughs>
2: <laughs> the abolitionist <laughs> daily got to get it back going again soon 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 um uh, before we went to the break though we were just talking about that 13th amendment the exception clause obviously i mean i guess it should be obvious uh clearly there's millions of americans that it's not Obvious to them So I guess there's millions of people in America That you could walk up to them And get them to sign a contract with you That says you're going to abide by the rules Of whatever that contract is Except for a certain situation And you probably could get away with it Because that's exactly what the 13th Amendment is A a contract basically To end slavery except When you can convict a person of a crime So again from this article uh, The Yahoo uh, article and again, what's important about this for those that may have missed before we went to next. What's
0: important about this, um, hey Johan, is to yes, do sir. me a favor, man. Um, let yeah. me let me uh, call you back. I'm gonna hang up and I'm gonna call you back because you're starting to the audio starting to, is still not better. No, it's not. So let me just reestablish a new connection. Just I'm gonna call. Okay. It's gonna call you right back and bring you back in. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and uh, take care of that right quick. Let me see that number is. Should have saved his number. There it go. Right there. So, Yeah, but just think about this, though. Going back to Mr. Cord's uh, article from last year where he is detailing how these people... Okay, I think that was the wrong number, and I'm not able to copy and paste. Okay, there there we go. Looks like we got Johanny. Oh, Johanny, we got you back. Better. Uh, say that again. Uh, you're coming in kind of low. Yeah, I
2: was
0: just asking if that was any better. Oh, no, it's... No, it's not better. It's actually worse. No. Alright, you call back. Try one more time, man. Okay. Give us a call back. I could give him that other um number. I ain't think about that. Give him that seven oh four number if uh next time he calls. back in and it is sounding that number is 704-802-5056 um try to try that one um but yeah what i was saying is the ridiculousness of allowing the very people the traitors on the other side now the, the confederate soldiers the ones that was fighting to keep slavery in place how logical is it to give them a say, period, in the amendment that's so-called gonna abolish slavery? That don't make no kind of logical sense, does it? Does it? But yet we keep hearing all of these myths about how great um, Lincoln was and, and how he freed the quote-unquote slaves and all this and that. And it's all a great myth and it, I have said in the past, it is probably the most successful propaganda campaign in world history. I can't think of anything else uh can you Johanny?
2: No, man, this has gotta be one of the worst uh one of the worst lies perpetrated ever you know at least in america uh in the past, we've seen the brutality that that was done to people. You know, through various war efforts and various colonization and, and uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, dictators and regimes and whatnot. But them people was blatant and out front and honest about what they was doing. They was not lying. They were cutting off heads and killing people and raping people and stealing the land. They were just straight up out front about it. Something about this situation in America has these people where they feel like it's better for them on the world stage, I suppose, if they lie about what they're really doing, but then keep on doing it.
0: But what what excuse does the world have for falling for it? I mean, I mean, I never heard Albert Einstein, and he was supposedly to be one of the most smartest persons who's ever lived. I don't never heard he, he, have heard about him writing about how slavery was never abolished and whatnot. But I mean we have people like um attorney Michael Cord, um attorney Vernelia Randall, great human rights uh uh elder, uh who's an attorney, Lakima Pounds out of um Uh, Minnesota, a one-time Minnesota Attorney of the Year, I believe. All acknowledging, we've had other professors on. There have been books like "Slavery by Another Name." That book was turned into a film, a documentary film. So I'm like, why do why does the world and why do we continue to promote this lie? And a part of it, I understand. We do have to retrain our language because we've been talking about slavery in past tense. And all we, you know, see through the media is slavery in past tense. And I just, I just happen to think that if we could just flip that switch, flip that switch, and at least 50% of the population here behind these enemy lines, that we might could, man, maybe mobilize some people ready to get it to do whatever it takes by any means necessary to, to finally end slavery on this continent. And if you end it here, you thereby, in my opinion, will end up uh, uh, cutting the head off the snake because slavery is global. And I'm not talking about people being kidnapped and held by criminal gangs or or or, you know, the girls in Kenya being kidnapped and held by... Uh, whatever that group's name is, they're basically slave. All that kind of stuff is already outlawed. We're talking about legalized slavery, like Max has, has has pointed out, Johannes pointed out, G4S is the largest employer in Africa, and they operate in private prisons and what have you. The DEA is, so it is, in fact, a, it's just like what you read about. It is a global trade where people are being enslaved for their labor. And if not for their labor, well, there's value on their bodies. There are so many jobs connected to putting a person in the cage.
2: That's part of the problem, too, Scotty. Um, what you're hitting on is, like, you went back to Einstein to make your point. You know, this article that we're talking about, you had the article you read is an attorney this brother understands the situation and is able to diagnose the, the the problem, you know, very expertly and get right to the root of the matter and, and break it down. And it makes total sense. He can, he can explain not only the conditions we're living in, but he can show you a clear line to how we got to this situation and then what's help us overcome the problem. These other people don't know where we come from. They're not able to, way, uh, come out and say or admit to where we're at currently. And obviously, their measures for reform moving forward are not going to change our reality. So you had that brother, like I said, he's an attorney. Well, the two people that are a part of this article that was reading from Yahoo are attorneys as well. Jamal Green is the vice dean of Columbia's law school. He's a vice dean and a professor of law at Columbia Law School. That's a black man. Jennifer Mason McHouard, is an associate professor of law at Notre Dame's Law School. So this is again going up and down the line when you're talking about, especially if you're talking about specifically uh, people of color, whether it's blacks or Latinos, Asians. We had uh, one year where we were talking about Angela Chan and um, Naomi Mirakawa, his two Asian allies that were looking out for their people and came across these truths about the 13th Amendment And uh, with A.C. Chan having been a uh, guest on Black Talk Radio Network On Black Talk Radio News talking about the 13th Amendment did not abolish slavery So we just got this wide gap between people's choice of reality Where all of them are so-called qualified All of them, you know, are attorneys or sociologists Or PhDs of different sorts and experts on all these different things These people get invited to represent uh, communities of color on Washington think tanks and Washington, you know, D.C. projects that are going on. I see the names on these reports that come out from the ACLU, that come out from the Brennan Center, that come out from these different think tanks and talk about, you know, give out these statistics and give out the history of and what we're going to do and the reforms that, like you'll hear Obama, what he did his 21st century policing commission. And they'll have these people that come out, and give all these thoughts and talk about these things, but not a one person on any of the boards that does any of the research that presents any thesis, any kind of uh, findings, any kind of recommendations, none of them will say the 13th Amendment did not abolish slavery. So how can we honestly expect for something to change on on the highest levels?
0: Right, right, And and, and I was thinking also Many of these so called prestigious institutions, you mentioned Harvard, you got Yale, you got Princeton, but you got, you know, state universities. I'm in North Carolina, University of North Carolina, and, and what have you. To admit and to acknowledge that slavery was never abolished is really what tear, I think, would really inflict a serious wound not a fatal wound but a serious wound and get people questioning uh the whole education system i mean from from k from kindergarten through k-12 and then the so-called higher institutions of learning they all been teaching that slavery was, was abolished So to me, you know, they have no credibility. That's why I don't put a lot of stock on a PhD or anything you have behind your name. Not that I devalue education, but but if you can't come to the simple truth and challenge your colleagues on the truth of the matter, especially if you are history uh, um, professor uh, or of uh, African American studies. You should be telling every last one of those students that slavery was never abolished and you need to pick up some weapons and follow somebody to abolish it. Follow in the footsteps of those 200,000 plus black people and their allies who uh, rose up to abolish slavery but were um, tricked. I I can't think of any better word to describe it I mean I don't know what the literacy rates were back then but we know Frederick Douglass later condemned all of this fraud okay it looks like um, Johannan is having trouble yeah I can detect when people on cell phones when they have um, those issues so we'll wait on him to come back Uh, I'm going to go ahead and move on to another story. But the whole point is if you can't acknowledge, if you don't know the root problem and all these other things that extenuate from that problem, how can you ever solve it? We talk about high bail people. Too poor to pay bail and being held in these jails and what have you. And we talk about the hyper policing, the stops and frisks, but what what is that? That's all symptoms of a system of slavery. So we need to recognize that. Let me check the board and see if we got Johannin back. Yeah, we got Johannin. Johanna, I was just about ready to move on to another story unless you had uh something else you wanted to add. Yo, honey. Yeah, you having some issues, bro? Yeah, we're barely hearing anything at all. So, um, yeah, let me move on. I w- I wanted to start doing this segment uh called uh corrupt cop stories. Um I like the stories and there are a couple of websites. Hold up. Yeah, Johanna and I had to mute you, bro. We're getting a whole lot of noise off of you. Uh you can unmute yourself again. Okay, let me see. Johanna, you there? Johanna Okay. Don't know what's going on with that. Uh, sorry for the technical difficulties tonight. As I stated, I wanted to move on to uh, another segment. Uh, this week's corrupt cop stories coming to you from Stop the Drug War. Now I have trained my brain and start calling them slave catchers because that is their primary duty. You do not get the world's largest prison population where people are used as slave labor by fortune 500 companies and how did they get there they just didn't walk into these plantations on their own they they again as we were talking about in mr michael kors story where he talked about the criminalization of people activity and then targeting black people with these codes that you have passed these ordinances these laws so and then the people who are enforcing these laws to practice slavery these people are are held up as heroes and she rolls and and we want our children to grow up to be just like them, but that's not the reality of it. Now, I'm not going to say every person in that profession has a bad heart or evil intentions, but the institution, historically and in this current period, that is, is, is just what it is. You don't cha- you don't ask questions. It's just no different than when I was in the military, where you're taught you do not question orders. Unless they're unethical. They told us that in the military. I don't know if they tell that the slave catchers. I don't think they do because we have these slave catchers, former slave catchers, coming forward who have recorded these people, their commanders telling them to target black children or black men ages 16 to 21, as was part of the stop and frisk lawsuit. So, again propaganda is very important and we have to combat all propaganda the police forces are just like the military forces they draw their recruits from the general population where if you have a predominantly racist society that's still practicing slavery then what do you think you're going to end up with what type of force so that's the purpose of um, this week's corrupt cop stories that we'll start um, making a part of new abolitionist radio's weekly broadcast. Let's see it it says a uh, the first story is from Pennsylvania. This is one of those Reagan era dare uh program officers, um Nancy Reagan in them. Uh Pennsylvania dare officer didn't heed his own lessons. A Florida cop fell for money laundering come on and more so let's get to it it says in the center township pennsylvania beaver county dare officer was arrested november the 10th for allegedly stealing drugs and cash from the evidence room for more than a year jeffrey stone went down after he raised suspicions suspicions by appearing to be under the influence of drugs at work in a state police investigation Found that drugs and cash had been removed from the evidence bags and replaced with filler. So I don't know what type of filler he was using, maybe some potpourri or or I don't know. Um, Drugs, including heroin, fentanyl, and cocaine, were missing as well as cash. Stone had been the primary custodian of the evidence room for 16 years and had received an award as the department's D.A.R.E. officer. He is charged with unlawful taking, receiving stolen property, tampering with or fabricating physical evidence, and instructing the administration of law. Now, what I'm not reading is anything about... Uh, any drug charges. What was he taking these drugs for? I don't see any possession of illegal drugs w- with the intent to unlawfully distribute or, you know, how they pile the charges on. They call it stacking charges in the industry. They're not stacking charges on him. They could throw a whole lot more if he had baggies in his house. They could have said each one of those baggies represent a charge because you was going to put that heroin or that cocaine or that fentanyl or whatever it is you stole in the, in a baggie, so to sell it and distribute it. so each little baggie represents an individual charge. So let me see, you got about twenty four baggies in a box. This is how they do people i'm 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 not just being sarcastic. this is how they do. So I'm not seeing those type of charges on him. But this is this man worked with kids every day in the high schools. That's where the D.A.R.E. program is, telling kids to just say no to drugs. And I ain't got a problem with PSAs, public service announcements, and programs like that. But what I do have a problem with is when you are arresting a consenting adults who are engaged in those type of nonviolent Transactions involving these drugs, especially when we consider the fact that these drugs you talk about heroin how did where did it come from? Afghanistan, how did it get here? How is it flooding the streets? think some corporations might be involved. you think some members of the military or private security corporations are involved in that just like they were involved in it in Vietnam. Next story, in Plainfield, Indiana, a Plainfield Correctional Facility guard was arrested last Monday after he admitted smuggling drugs into the prison. Officer Joshua Kirk went down after investigators found a gram of meth on him as he arrived at work. They later found bags of tobacco and synthetic synthetic cannabinoids in his vehicle as well as 79 more grams of fake weed in another pound of loose tobacco kirk is charged with trafficking with an offender dealing in synthetic marijuana and dealing in methamphetamine or felony so this is a this is a, a, a plantation overseer and when i've interviewed or listened to some of the um um Thoughts and, and speeches of people who are involved with law enforcement against prohibition that is one of the talking points that I hear from them is if you cannot keep drugs out of a maximum security prison or any prison for that matter then what makes you think you can keep it off the streets so it's insane to keep this recycling door going well it's insane unless your intent is to practice slavery though Let's move to Florida. Last story. In Jacksonville, Florida, a former Jacksonville Sheriff's Officer was found guilty last Tuesday of participating in a money laundering scheme for an undercover officer posing as a drug dealer. Michael Roundsville, 48, accepted $42,000 in cash after he agreed to launder $200,000 roundsville then ran the names of fbi agents through police databases for the man he thought was a drug dealer he was convicted by a federal jury of assessing a law enforcement database without authorization of, for financial gain and in furtherance of a money laundering scheme he's looking up to five years in prison just reminds me of uh, Wachovia, which is now Wells Fargo, was bought out by Wells Fargo. Where they got caught laundering, I, I think it was close to a billion, if it was maybe seven hundred and fifty million dollars in drug money through uh, currency houses in Mexico. None of them went to jail. None of them got charged. And then the police did not seize all of the assets of. Wachovia that they identified as being part of this drug money laundering scheme. They just paid a portion of it as a fine and got to keep the rest. So here's a here is a a, a slave catcher, a sheriff's officer, who is who is going to do some time on a prison plantation for doing this. But these bankers though these bankers why shouldn't they not be charged and treated in a similar fashion if you locking up everybody all these people 70% of the US population that is uh, in prison is in there for nonviolent, victimless drug crimes as they are described but if you're a banker you can facilitate these things or if you are uh, uh, if your son-in-law Mitch McConnell is the Senate majority leader in your shipping company and one of your ships get busted in a country loaded down with pounds of cocaine. Well, we could just make that go away and what have you. But when it comes to the people on the street and even some of the slave catchers, oh, no, we got to put you in prison, put you into slavery. Well, I mean, what sense does it make it unless, again, your aim is to practice slavery and makes all the financial sense in the world? Listen, we're coming up on a break. I'm not sure if Johannin was able to resolve his issues. Uh, but when I come back again, I will open up the phone lines. There is another story speaking of civil forfeitures in that whole scheme to rob people uh, on the highways and byways. But I think it's the state of Indiana. I'm not sure, but it is a state that has a uh, work towards eliminating that civil forfeiture's asset. Um, but we'll also open up the phone lines. Again, the telephone number is 866-510-9025. Uh, hit star, star to unmute yourself. But we're going to go to break right now. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. Max uh, is not with us tonight. Johannes have an audio issues. So right now I'm riding solo. Well, not really, because I got uh you, the Black Talk Radio listener audience, riding with me. But stay tuned. We'll be back here shortly. Formal apology Monday to the nation's minority population for quote actions of the past and the role that our profession has played in society's historic mistreatment of communities of color. Jonina Abram Irvin, who was a member of the Black Panther Party from 1972 until it ceased operations in 1982 due to the illegal terroristic acts carried out by police and the FBI, spoke to BTR News and was asked if she accepted the apology. Do you accept the apology of the a slave catcher, I'm sorry, the uh police uh union representative.
3: I just happened to watch that on TV right before you know we began this conversation. And you know, no I don't accept. No, I don't accept it. Uh to say it's too little too late is not even really uh capture it. You no know, what needs to happen is, is that these kinds of acts need to stop, you know. Uh black people, people of color need police need to stop shooting us down in the street, you know, every day like we were animals or our dogs. That's what needs to happen, uh, uh, immediately. Uh, a, a widespread, you know, uh, many to cease and desist. That's what they need to do. Apologizing is not going to, you know, do any good. They're not going to bring anybody back who has been killed. So, uh, they just need to cease and desist, uh, from these, from these unlawful acts. Uh, this amount, you know, this is a, back in the day, we talked a lot about, uh, you know, genocide, which is, you know, the, uh, deliberate, uh, targeted, uh, elimination and destruction of, a, of an ethnic group or a race people and to me this uh, the, the all these killings of black people and other people of color in the United States uh, to me it represents a form of genocide. They don't have jobs for us and um, they don't you know outside of putting us in prison they don't have any other solutions. For them for black and poor people so they shoot us down and kill us so to me it's a form of genocide which needs to end immediately uh so no i do not and i will not ever accept their apology
0: this has been scotty reed with your black talk radio weekly commentary join me for regular broadcasts. On- now i'm not a
3: writer okay
0: black talk radio since 2008 providing new black media for the masses and welcome back to new abolitionist radio my name is Scotty Reed, broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. We got uh, Johannes. I think he's back on the board, but listen, before I move to that story where it seems um, they are poised to pass some legislation in this state to prevent uh, or to roll repeal, I guess is the proper uh, legal terminology, repeal the civil assets forfeiture program in their state. But before I move that, uh we just heard a, a clip um from a former Panther. Well, they're usually refer to themselves as Panthers for Life, but that was Jonina uh Irvin Abrams. And we just had a Panther get out of prison. And so actually maybe this out of I'ma just say this person for our writer of the 21st underground okay so it just came to me because uh, Max isn't with us and he usually puts the program together but yeah I'm going to say that so y'all want to stay tuned for the uh, writer of the 21st century underground because it's going to be a Black Panther uh, Black Liberation Army member who is our featured writer this week so let's try to bring you back in bro you there
2: I'm here. Can you hear me better now?
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
2: It's ridiculous, man. I don't know. It's been a while since I've been hit that hard with the, with the uh, whatever it is that happens from time to time. <laughs> I had absolutely no reception, no kind of bars, no kind of coverage, and nothing. So it all magically went away, and I'm back with you. So we're gonna all keep right. pushing on.
0: All right. So this bill that I was talking about before we went to the break. The civil forfeiture bill is ready for passage despite opposition by police and prosecutors. And this is an article that was published by um, Dispatch.com. It was written by Jim Siegel. He says that despite ongoing opposition from police chiefs and prosecutors, legislative leaders expect to pass a bill next week limiting the ability for law enforcement to seize property without a criminal conviction. Let me go ahead and back that up because see, people will accuse me of exaggerating or being sensational in the language that I use when I say they be robbing people on the highway that they are thieves, they're criminals and what have you. It's like taxation, you know, they're tax collectors all to collecting this for the state. But of course they're going to get their share in the form of bonuses and what have you, the slave catchers that is. But it says, let me read it again. Despite the opposition from, the police chiefs and prosecutors legislative leaders expect to pass a bill next week limiting the ability for law enforcement this is the very important part to seize property without a criminal conviction so what that means is they've been seizing property and even after they charged somebody took their property if they were found innocent or the charges were dropped Oh, you think you're getting your property back? You think you're getting that 10000 back? You think you're getting whatever it is we took from you? You think you're getting it back? No. Supporters, including the U.S. Justice Action Network, a coalition of conservative and progressive organizations, have argued for 18 months that the time has come for Ohio to better protect citizens from having their cash, homes, or other property seized based on a suspicion of a crime. Now, now see, this is the kind of stuff that they teach us. Now, they could have been lying. I think they probably were. But we program people in this country to say this is the kind of mistreatment and the kind of tyranny and stuff that gave rise to the American Revolution. But this is the kind of mistreatment that has been going on for a very, very long time. So again, how is this not a crime? So again, you can put these people, these slave catchers, highway robbers on a pedestal if you want to. And if you are one of the quote unquote good ones out there where if you ain't whistle blowing on these people, if you choose to remain in there and just follow orders, then you know, you, hey, your own conscience, let your own conscience be the judge. But this is what's going on. So Uh, Let me see. um, Members of the Action Network, including Grover Norquist, president of Americans for Tax Reform, said, in criminal cases, the burden of proof rests with the prosecution to prove a defendant's guilt. But in forfeiture cases, the property owner is put in a position in which he must prove that he attained his property lawfully, wrote three members those three members I mentioned the bill which passed the house in May could see a senate vote next week lawmakers on a senate committee delay action after approving an amendment to address some issues raised by prosecutors so um you could this is a whole lot more um to this article I'm going to go ahead and um share it of course it has been shared in btrcommunity.com on our planning page or discussion in the group abolitionists um but I'm also sharing it to the fed book page new abolitionists radio on fed book uh, your thoughts
2: yeah man just like you said uh, no taxation without representation is what brought about the uh, the riots of the colonial days you know even though a lot of these people had slaves and had commandeered the land and the resources and gone all about their business illegally and uh, built up fortunes and built up a life for themselves in the new country um, but when they saw that the the uh, the government uh, of England was not uh, giving them proper political representation they steadily putting out new taxes new acts the stamp acts and the liquor acts and the sugar acts and the tea, tea taxes and. All these things was driving them crazy. They couldn't take it no more, and so eventually it came down to to, uh, bus and caps. So that was good enough for them back then, but like you said, with what's going on now with asset forfeiture, we reported on this program many times over the years. You know, there's an entire town in Texas that had their whole uh, municipal budget was basically uh, set up based on the, uh, the way they were able to just take people. They just would stop anybody they wanted to. Just stopping cars, confiscating the vehicle, all the things in the vehicle, all the cash, anything of any value, and then leaving it like people say, uh, authorities and law enforcement representatives say all the time about police when they stop you, hey, if you think they're wrong, just follow instructions and do what they tell you to do, and then if they're wrong, you you can prove that in court, but you don't need to be resisting arrest. You don't need to be speaking up. You don't need to say anything to the officer. Let him do his job because he deserves to go home to his family just like everybody else. So that's what happens when you let him go home and you don't say nothing, you don't speak up for yourself, or like Walter Scott, you try to run and they shoot you in the back. I mean, the seriousness of what we're dealing with, man, it may seem to people like these are not all the way connected narratives, but let me tell you, the asset forfeiture is just as much of an incentive for them to interact with you as the war on drugs, the drug crimes, as much as the incentive of slavery itself, as we've seen, the private prisons, as well as judges, as well as uh, law enforcement agents have all conspired against citizens to push them into prisons because they were going to profit from their enslavement. They were going to profit from the labor contracts and from the from the prison contracts that were set up. So all of these things are incentives to push a person who's in a position of authority to reach out and touch base with citizens on a more and more regular basis, and then this is what leads to the racial profiling, the race-based policing, the patterns and practices of racial profiling, race-based policing, uh, 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 targeting certain races, certain areas, so these are all things that, that we're dealing with and talking about, and, and they're not disjointed. They're not just one episode here, one incident there. This is a system. And when you're talking about asset forfeiture, when you're talking about racial profiling, when you're talking about minimum mandatory sentences, you know, when we're looking at the decriminalization of cannabis around the country in various states, these types of actions are what are going to be ramped up to replace that lost revenue. When you have a country that has over 700,000 cannabis-related arrests last year, and nine states had measures on their ballot during the election last November to decriminalize cannabis either completely or at least medicinally, when those states pass those laws and those states begin to generate revenue, tax revenue off of selling, legally selling cannabis, you're gonna see the law enforcement get cut out. you're gonna see the judicial the municipal uh, judicial branches getting cut out these bonuses and these and these asset forfeiture funds so so these are you are saying cut out of that money
0: so you're saying in the states that where they have legalized cannabis in order for law slave catchers in in the whole you know slave industry to replace that that lost revenue. Um, that they're going to resort more to these type of uh, tactics, the civil asset feature, uh, a forfeiture, yeah. or whatever. Because, again, you don't have to convict yeah. anybody of a crime in order to take their property. I mean, this nope. is, tell me this ain't robbery. This is straight-up robbery of, of the system. Man, absolutely by the what system of other it's people.
2: That's
0: what set up to do. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, man.
2: Well, more of the same. And like I said, we've reported on this so many times over the years, various states around the country. and the I'm just movement, reminded.
0: I'm just reminded. Yeah. Um, you, you, I remember a story. It might have been you or Max reading about. They then got it down to the point to where the uh, slave catcher on out there patrolling has a little uh, electronic device where he can just snatch money off of your debit card or, right. or what right. have
2: you yeah that software is out there, and uh, they yes, absolutely they can they can read your card and see where exactly what your balance is and take the money right out of the account. Yes. <laughs> so what we're dealing with man, and this is and you know why this happens is because people are still trying to refuse what we're saying is the truth we don't have any reason to be sitting making anything up. This is not some tinfoil hat UFOs you know Alex Jones conspiracy about the Illuminati and the the, we don't even have anything like that going on here. If you've been listening tonight or if you listen to years, four years plus of podcasts, two hours apiece if you listen to, even though it was somewhat brief, but that was two hours a day of abolitionist daily and like me and Scotty talked about, we're going to have to bring that back there is more information available that comes in every day. People I've talked about it on here before. All I do is set up Google alerts. And even when we talk about the tracking the murders, the police killings, extrajudicial killings that police commit every year in America, that's how the major international newspaper the Guardian, that's how they started to track them because they saw the FBI was not tracking this. There is no uh, no national or Governmental agency that's tracking How many people the police kill every year When they found that out they start tracking Them themselves and you know how they start tracking them By setting up Google alerts So as I say on this program all the time If I'm sitting here with a laptop And a cell phone And I give a damn and I can find This information When you dealing with people all around you At work, at church, at home, at school in the street, at the store, wherever you go, people all around you worry about making America great again. But they don't give a damn about issues like this that we're talking about here. These are real factual issues going on. This is not some kind of hyperbole. This is actual legislation. This is actual practices. This is your family all scattered around the country getting getting tore. One of them might get shot by a cop. One might get his debit card scanned as he drives by and get, get his account ripped. One might get pulled over, get his car took. One might get put in jail for suspicion of, of smelling drugs, marijuana in the air, and ain't had no drugs, but he go to jail, can't make bail, misses two, three, four, five days of work, kids can't go to daycare, can't go to school, loses. I mean, this is the stories that we tell you about that are going on all over the country in a system of modern-day slavery.
0: One thing before we move on to our next story, and again, if anybody has any questions or comments they would like to share with our um, listening audience, you can do so by hitting eight six six five ten ninety twenty five on your telephone keypad, star star to unmute yourself, or you can hit us up via the web, the uh, internet connection with uberconference.com dot com slash black talk radio network. But one of the things, though, that that was running through my mind as again we try to put these things into historical context. Do you think this, that I'm going to start calling them the invisible black people of America? And the reason I'm going to call them the invisible black people of America is because, again, we all use this language like every black person that was on this continent was enslaved. And many of them were not. Many of them joined the American Revolution and, in fact, turned the tide of the war in favor of the colonists. I mean, I study all this history. I started by just researching my family history and expanding that to this county, expanding that to this state. And so these are stories I find all over America. So these invisible black people, though, Johanna, do you think that they were the victims, even though they wasn't on the plantation, do you think they were the victims of civil asset forfeiture programs like this? I don't Absolutely. think this is anything new.
2: Absolutely. I believe those Negroes were victims of every imaginable and unimaginable type of terrorism that happened to folks that was actually on the plantation. I think it was a handful that probably didn't get touched, that probably got away with Crossing and going back and forth and running a business and minding their own business and didn't get victimized. But I think I think by and large the majority of, of even so-called free black folks were constantly at, of, of catching the Solomon Northrup and ending up enslaved, ending up in jail somewhere, ending up in some in some type of debt peonage situation, ending up in some type of a, a or situation just having
0: it. their money
2: took out on the yeah. road. Yeah. Yes, highway robbery, yes, I think absolutely that is the, I mean, all the way up to the, the, you know, the uh, more modern civil rights uh, movement. I think black folks in this country all through the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, it continued to happen, pull you over and let you know, okay, we can take you out the car and just lynch you right here, have a little fun with your wife and your daughter, and uh, they'll find your body somewhere, or, you know, you can give me what you got. What are you doing down here? That's why they had, uh, like, that uh, the the Colored Motorist Guide to Safe Travel, the Green Book, to tell black folks what highways, what roads to take, what towns, with sundown towns, where to go, where not to go, stay away from this. I mean, black people used to have to stay in constant contact with one another to alert one another as best they could to how to travel safely. And that was from the police as well as from, the police when they wearing their hoods. So yes, I believe that it's always been a problem and it still is now. But the but the thing about now though, these Negroes think 'cause they in a or or 'cause they got I don't know, satellite radio or I don't know what people are dealing with, but there's something about luxury and convenience and titles and having some money and thinking you you making it that makes a lot of these black people right now just ignore what's going on and act like it ain't gonna happen to them. But then when they end up on the evening news or become a national news story because of what happened to them.
0: Like like the now all of a sudden, M- Joe McKnight. Yeah. Even though he wasn't yeah. killed by a slave catcher, I'm sure he probably gives money to the police benevolence situation. Oh, yeah. And he's well known by members of that little town police. But, yeah, man. and, and But, Matt, I mean, Johanny, Yo, as you were speaking about those people with those luxuries and that convenience but not only do they either ignore it or are in denial about it, but they will even attack one of their own in that in that classification of, of rich black negro. And they will attack one of their own for daring to acknowledge the suffering of people lesser than them. So Colin Kaepernick, what are you doing, man? You making all this money just play football. What what are you doing, bro? Yeah.
2: Yeah, we're up against it, man. Like I said, we're in a domestic colony, so they don't have to import slaves anymore. We're here, and you know, we're homegrown, but uh, the methods of escape and definitely the methods of survival and uh, absolutely the methods of, of finding ways to be able to thrive and become autonomous uh, and have a, and actually have a life of your own choices that lead to your own destiny, all that's off the table. So these Negroes this protesting Colin Kaepernick's and people that will raise their hand um, and will say something. I mean, I remember before Kaepernick, I remember uh, in, during my time, uh, what was the old boy that was in the NBA, uh, Abdul Raouf. Yeah. it wouldn't stand up. Formerly known but, uh, as Chris
0: Jackson, played his ball in yeah. Louisiana.
2: When he stopped standing up for it, that was during the time when they were very competitive with Jordan for the championship. They was trying to break through and, and, and take out Jordan over that time. And he didn't. Jordan had nothing to say about that. He dogged him out, ran him out the league. So, I mean, there's always these kind of juxtapositions of a grassroots movement, uh, a, a person of the community, a natural head that rises up, that speaks for revolution, that speaks for freedom, that speaks for an opportunity uh, for oppressed people. But just like on the plantation days, there's always going to be a Negro who can they can put in place and cut that head off and then sow the new head on and keep on moving with the mission. They did this in the plantation days. If they saw little kids that was too snappy with their tongue, they had too bright in their eye, they could pick up reading, they could, they could memorize things, they were very good at doing different things they were natural leaders, they would, they would debase those little children. They would demoralize those little children. They would try to break them. If they made it to teen years, they would rape them. If it was a grown man, fresh off the boat that was some kind of leader, they'd take him out and rape him in front of everybody for days on end, completely demoralize and destroy that person so all the other slaves would see and say, well, if that's the strongest one we got, and he's standing here chained to the the fence post and being raped day day in, day out, what chance do we have of doing something? And it's the same mentality as right now. If you look at a Kaepernick, For whatever reason, he came out and started being vocal about what he was doing. Years before that, he was already giving money to local charities. He was already going to different states in the country on record giving his time and his money to the grassroots. Even after he started doing this at the beginning of the season, he's obviously continued to evolve his knowledge of the situation because he commented he's one of the few people that commented on Fred Hampton's murder. The other day when we observed his 45th uh, 45th year anniversary of his assassination, he commented on that very succinctly. He had on a T-shirt marking uh, marking the event. He was able to give some commentary about it. So obviously he's continuing to study and evolve. So why people would be against that, I don't understand. But nothing's changed in America, nothing new under the sun.
0: Yeah, let's move uh, to this next story. I chose this story because I care about everybody on the planet, uh, particularly non-white people who are under the oppression of racism and, and global white supremacy. But this is one of those stories that also point out to you that this is legalized slavery. And all, everything that entails slavery, racism, uh, brutality, murder, rape, all of that type of stuff. So I chose this next story, but Johanna, we're going to switch it up tonight. If you can choose an abolitionist in profile and do that, and I'll do the um, writer of the Underground Railroad, uh, 21st Century right. Underground Railroad, and because uh, I want to highlight a um, political prisoner who just got set free. So um, just to give you a heads okay. up, but before we go into this break, uh, let me just share this story. Now, I talked about this story on Black Talk Radio News, but I said I don't know if I believe it at the time because I only saw one source, and I don't really trust the Washington Post as a source. So, um, the stopthedrugwar.org, where I shared those corrupt cop stories, they published something on this story about the uh, mass murderer, president of the Philippines, uh, what is his first name, Rodrigo, Duarte, who has been killing people and encouraging other people to kill people who are suspected uh, 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 drug addicts or have a drug addiction. Drug addicts is kind of a dehumanizing term, and and then I mean, you could be an addict, you know, and and be a food addict. You could be all kind of different addicts. Alcohol addict, they call it alcoholism or whatnot. So I, I don't like that term, drug addict. But if you are thought suspected of using um, drugs, or if you are suspected of selling drugs, that they've been killing these people in the streets, or or however they in the villages, or however they doing it over there in in the Philippines. And this country, as I pointed out on a, a BTR news broadcast, gets millions of dollars, possibly tens of millions of dollars as a drug war grant because the drug war is global that's how you got DEA officers in Africa you know I keep hearing people talk about "Well, let's run to Africa we are gonna be safe no the hell you not you don't retreat from the battlefield from anywhere okay so let me let me not go off on that tangent but let me share some of this article uh, Donald Trump's seat of the pants pre-inaugural telephone diplomacy is causing shockwaves in diplomatic circles in world capitals around the globe. Whether it's getting all buddy-buddy with despots like uh, Kazakhstan's perpetual leader and or throwing U.S.-Chinese China policy in a turmoil by taking a call from the president of Taiwan or insulting close allies like Great Britain by failing to reach out in a timely fashion. But the president elect did outdid himself with a Friday call too. So he called this guy. But the president-elect outdid himself with a Friday call to Philippines President Rodrigo Duarte. The Filipino strongman took office earlier this year with a promise to unleash mass murder on Filipino drug users and dealers and he has lived up to that vow leaving the streets running with the blood of more than 5,000 killed so far either directly by the police again why do you respect these people these are the very people who have always enforced tyranny So anyway, either directly by his police or in a more shadowy fashion by vigilantes. Duarte's bloody campaign has drawn scathing criticism from human rights groups, the United Nations and the Obama administration, with Duarte responding to the latter by calling Obama a son of a whore. But in his phone call with Duarte, Trump was singing a different tune before I move on here now. Let me ask you this: Why haven't Why haven't the United States put together a coalition to invade the Philippines and stop all this man from killing his own people? Where did we hear that before? That's what, ain't that the Near excuse that they gave for Libya? Yes, they did. So now you actually have a despotic leader killing people. 5,000 thus far oh you just twiddling your thumbs and saying hey you ought not do that you should stop it we condemn these actions we criticize you but no you ain't moving no force on this man Duarte said Saturday that Trump had endorsed his bloody anti-drug campaign telling him that the Philippines was doing it quote the right way and Trump was quite sensitive to our quote our worry about drugs he wishes me well too in my campaign and he said that well we are doing it as a sovereign nation the right way Duarte said in a Philippines government summary of the call between Trump and Duarte the Filipino president said the pair had spoken only briefly but touched on many topics including the anti-drug campaign I could sense a good rapport and animated President-elect Trump, and he was wishing me success in my campaign against the drug problem, Duarte said. He understood the way we are handling it, and I said that there is nothing wrong in protecting a country. It was a bit very encouraging in the sense that I suppose that we re- that he really wanted to say was that we would be the last to interfere in affairs of your own country. I appreciate the response that I got from President-elect Trump and I would like to wish him success, Duarte said. He will be a good president for the United States of America. Uh, The Trump team has yet to comment on this call. So that means that he's telling the truth. Why would this man come out and lie? Why would he come out and lie about any of this? So as the United States federal government under the Obama administration has been trying to be more compassionate towards all these white people, that's hooked on heroin and meth and other drugs here in Gaston County. They just recently announced uh, a a senator, state senator was there. I mean, not a state senator, but uh, the U.S. House Representative Patrick McHenry, as well as uh, um, North Carolina Senator to the federal government, um, Tom Tillis, and announced this new program where we're not going to throw you into jail and prison. We're going to get you some help. Because, you know, uh, Gaston County, North Carolina is about 90% white, and it's described as the Meth capital of the world, but we are not going to, we don't want to put y'all in prison, which is the right, you know, policy, obviously, but they're doing it, I say, for racist reasons, when it start affecting all these white folks. So then the Obama administration is funding um, some kind of uh, drug that first responders carry around, so that if somebody had an overdose, they can revive all all these white people that's ODing on this good, great heroin, uh, uh, brought to you by the Afghanistan war. All right. So, so what what is Trump gonna do? Huh? Huh? Does he, you think he's gonna feel the same way or or towards? all of these white people that's hooked on these drugs that that we keep hearing about in the corporate media, obviously not, obviously not. So, um, you know, I thought this was a very important story. Here we have Donald Trump endorsing a man and encouraging a man who is engaged in murder, in murder. 5,000 people estimated thus far. It's probably higher than that simply for allegedly being accused of using drugs or selling drugs. And I've also read stories in their family members too, that the vigil quote unquote vigilantes wipe out the entire family, including the children. Yeah. Johanna? Yeah,
2: you know, like you said like you said, probably well more than five thousand. I mean we know um like when they were just did the Olympics in uh in in Rio, they were talking about how in in Brazil how many thousands of people they killed and cleaned the streets up to make it. You know, I mean these places don't have any problem. Line, I have no doubt this probably twenty five, thirty, maybe fifty thousand people that have been killed. They can do it, and nobody's going to police them. Nobody's gonna invade them, like you talked about Libya. Um, nobody's gonna invade and and destroy their government and and. <laughs> Occupy their land, so they can do whatever they want to do. But I mean, this is just more of the same um, as we've seen before. You know, backing up somebody that's going as radical as this, and then, like you said, uh, the obviousness of the racial overtones to it as well is just adding a uh, you know insult to the injury. So this is this is what we're dealing with, man. And this is why being passive to any aspect of these things that we talk about. You know, whether it's this story that pisses you off and leads you to be like, you know what, man, I'm I'm not going to stand for that. And then you go do something because you care about that one thing. If it's something that you heard about civil asset forfeiture, if it's something you heard about, you know, all these different stories we talk about week in, week out, it's got to be something that compels you. It just has to be something that hits you like, now, see, that's what I'm not going to stand for. Selling uh, kids for cash, I'm not going to deal with that. Boiling, boiling men and uh, boiling merely retarded people in the shower or super hot till they skin melts off their body. I'm not gonna stand for that. Macing somebody all the way till they asphyxiated and die and they pull their body off the bed, and it's a coat of mace, an inch thick, all on the wall, because they emptied six canisters of mace on this man and murdered him. I'm not gonna stand for that. Pick your poison. Pick something that you just not gonna stand for, because if people are passive to these things. You're going along with it, and you see it's not backing down on its own, and we can't continue to fight the fight without you. So you're saying that you're okay with it, and you want to see more happen. If you don't do something to stop it, you must want to see more.
0: Do you think that slave catchers here in the United States will implement such a policy? Because, again, these are police officers. These are are are. are people employed by the philippines in the cities in the states however their country is divided up the region these are law enforcement officers people with guns and badges who are are quote unquote sworn to uphold the law so again upholding the law is a lot different than upholding individual freedom and liberty and again you know even when we want to talk about hitler or Germany, and how could these soldiers follow these orders? Well, look, how do these cops continue to follow their orders and ruining people's lives and robbing them of their their property? Yes, this can absolutely happen here. In fact, I'm surprised that it has not happened.
2: I don't think it will happen on the scale like what they're talking about there. I do believe that the numbers that are starting to show up more often are true here that I believe there's probably more than what they're able to really uh, catch and report on so far. But they, you know, they've been in the thousands range, 1200, 1500 people a year killed, you know, of all races killed by police year in year out in America. Um, I think we're pretty much at the boiling point right at the numbers they're at now, because you do see, you know, and it ain't just black folks. Uh, Yeah. You saw what happened in Dallas. Uh, what well, you saw what they presented on the TV screen anyway in Dallas, um, and you see what happened in in uh, in Baton Rouge with the brothers that did what they did. we We know what happened in New York City a couple of years ago with the man supposedly came from all the way from Baltimore on the train, walked up to the two cops in the car, shot him, and went in you know when the subway and killed himself. I mean, we've seen these things, but we know that just in the last six to eight weeks, this is December seventh, first week of december twenty sixteen. Uh, just in the last six to eight weeks, there's been 12 to 15 cops shot, most of them killed, by white men. It's, you know, whether they claiming sovereign citizens, whether they claiming extreme, alt-right, you know, whatever. They're the extremists. They're conservatives, they conservatives. They ain't going for it. I mean, we're seeing that white folks is out here killing police. So I don't know if what's going on in the Philippines, unless they stay targeting the, the super poor, the most underrepresented you know, people, as they tend to do with people of color, the mentally ill, you know, it's been hundreds and hundreds of, of, of mentally ill people that the police have just, you know, gunned down mercilessly. Uh, as long as they keep picking, you know, little black babies and uh, old black folks, uh, pearly golden sitting in her chair watching Matlock, the police got the wrong address when they kick in on a drug warrant and shoot her dead in her in their TV chair. As long as they keep doing that, they could probably get the numbers up a little more, but I don't believe they're going to be to kill Five thousand red baseball cap make america great again white men in america I, I don't i think they they're gonna kill them back but
0: what about black people what about black hispanic that's getting to ready to get targeted by the trump administration and we're going to be targeted too. let me just restate right. what i said because he supports slavery he supports the private uh private slavery. he said this on the campaign trail, so I expect to get that, but he has really singled out hispanics and said about two to three million of them so so uh but again, I am under no illusion. yeah, I agree with you, I agree with you. It's hard to envision that happening here because of so many of us have arms, and I'm good it's glad it warms I'm sorry, it warms my heart to see more and more black people uh purchasing guns now and taking courses Mm -hmm. and joining gun clubs as malcolm x suggested uh so long ago as a response so yeah considering those things it's hard to to see that happening plus i don't know what the gun legislation like is in Filipinos. see they may not have access to guns like americans
2: do right but yeah, like I said, ultimately, they, if as long as they keep targeting who they targeting—the homeless, children, mentally ill—you know, being able to kill folks that say they was they had uh, drills in their system, they was running from the police, they tried to take their gun—you know—they can they can still get away with. They could probably push the numbers up, you know, a, a little a little higher and get away with it still without people going totally off, you know, going off. But uh, yeah, they're not about to be going in the suburbs and you know picking off these white kids because they're violating the drug laws. They're not about to be catching these suburban soccer moms in the SUV, high as hell off a bottle of pills and smoking a joint and you know whatever. They you know they they got the drug problems bad. Like you said, this worldwide war on terror heroin is tearing them apart. They're not gonna enforce, but they they're showing you they're not gonna enforce a violent uh uh policy against white folks that's on drugs everywhere you look up and down the east coast all into as far as ohio i think just over this last couple of weeks in ohio they had something like 14 people died of heroin overdoses over the weekend and this is a common thing and they're not responding with army tanks and battering rams and no knock warrants And shooting people down in the streets and all of that they're not responding with that in these white neighborhoods you got the governors of the state coming out you got congressmen coming out you got people making commercials and begging for mercy and talking about treatment and what we got to do to try to help our loved ones so now
0: yeah so anyway that's just very troubling man because when i first heard that i said i'm gonna wait for a couple of more sources to confirm this because the washington post is known for fake news stories so let me just wait for two or three more sources before i believe this but if this is true I mean, this is it almost leaves me speechless, man, that he could openly get away with that. Now, I don't consume a whole lot of corporate media like CNN, MSNBC. I rely on family members to tell me about if something they see something really egregious because they usually DVR in it. And they'll show me, hey, Scotty, you need to see this. So I, I don't watch it. But I have not really seen this being an issue. Being brought up on corporate n- news media, I am plugged into the worldwide uh, web, and so I would expect I would be seeing more articles about man. This guy just endorsed a man, uh, a policy. Not just endorsed a man, but he endorsed extrajudicial murder of thousands of people. How does how is that not? Headline news, I don't know. Man. What is yeah. this word? Well, he's
2: the one that said the media was biased. <laughs> <laughs> Just like he said the election was gonna be a uh was gonna be a, a, a sham. So I mean he's a prophet at this point.
0: All right. Um before we get to uh Johannan's uh and profile, I want to uh share information for our twenty first century underground. Railroad Rider of the Week, and that will be Mr. Malachi Shakur Latine. Just some background on Mr. Uh, Latine. He was uh, he's listed by the Jericho Movement, which you can find their website at theJerichoMovement.com, as a member of the Black Liberation Army. Um, he was in prison. He just got out so he was in prison 37 years he was captured in 1979 Uh, my arrest and conviction were a direct result in retaliation for my Islamic beliefs political aspirations and direct association and involvement with the black liberation movement, nevertheless I remain firmly and steadfastly committed and dedicated to the struggle for black liberation, independence, and self-determination by any means necessary. Malachi Shakur Latine was born in the Bronx on August 23, 1949. In his early years, he became involved with the Nation of Islam. It was during this time that he began on a path of confronting society's oppressive forces. In 1969, Malachi and his brother uh, Shaquan joined up with the Black Panther Party for self-defense. Malachi described this period as a very trying time, but also a rewarding one. The discipline was not as rigid as in the Nation of Islam, but it contained the basic elements of discipline essential to any effective organization. With this experience came additional requirements in organizational discipline. He began taking political education classes offered by the Black Panther Party. He studied Chairman Mao, Franz Fanon, Lenin, Fidel Castro, Che Guevara, and many others. He was also involved in transforming the theoretical ideals of the BPP into daily practice. Due to the Panthers' public outreach, which included the free breakfast and lunch programs, free clothing drives, and free daycare programs, the U.S. government took notice of the Black Panther Party that such actions were anchored by a revolutionary message caused the U.S. government to view the black radicals as a serious threat. Latine stated it was during this period that the U.S. government's covert hostilities towards the BBP BPP became very overt and direct. Hence, the U.S. government unleashed its strategy of repression in the form of its infamous COINTELPRO uh, counterintelligence program in its effort to thwart the party's community-based programs and organizational effectiveness, while at the same time targeting the party's leadership by way of manufacturing false or fabricated charges in an attempt to criminalize the party's membership in the bpp itself like many other panthers targeted by the u.s government malachi found himself behind prison bars specifically in rikers island where he met one of the panther leaders lumumba shakur lumumba and 20 other panthers known as the panther 21 were facing trumped up charges which included a plot to blow up various Locations in New York City. All of the Panther Twenty One would eventually be freed from the charges. Uh, Latine was soon released from Rikers and returned to the Panthers, only to find that the government's tactics against the organization forced many of them to go underground. Following their lead, Malachi and his brother decided to follow suit. He spent two years in in training and studying and engaging in various actions. Two years after going underground, Malachi and his brother attended the funeral of Zayed Malik Shakur, who was killed during an altercation with police on the New Jersey Turnpike. This was where uh, Asada Shakur and uh, Sundiata Akoli were also, uh, um, this was slave catchers trying to assassinate them uh he continued to participate in the liberation movement for six years before being arrested now i'm gonna share this uh because this is just much more but i wanted to give you some background on who this man was he was eventually charged with or convicted of killing a slave catcher so um Family and friends of Malachi Shakur Latine would like to thank the amazing Parole Preparation Project of the National Lawyers Guild NYC Chapter, our awesome attorney uh, Moira Meltzer Cohen, visionary artist Sophia Dawson, the Sekua Odinga Defense Committee, NYC Anarchist Black Cross, the Anarchist Black Cross Federation, the Jericho Movement. And the rap campaign and everyone who contributed to this people's victory so Malachi Shakur Latine is out of prison after 37 years behind the wall so um, welcome to freedom one of our freedom fighters Malachi Shakur Latine we salute you
2: salute that's what's up man the battle continues Battle continues. Wow, brothers and sisters went through hell. That's why we talk about how you know that these people that, that come out, you can tell who's real and who's a real threat to ending white supremacy, to ending modern day slavery, is the people that they kill, imprison, or run all the way out the country. I mean, these groups that are so easily embraced by the mainstream, it should be obvious to you that they are not no threat to the mainstream. That's why they love them so much. But so. We move uh, quickly on into our abolitionist in profile. Um, I don't know. Are you you want to do the music? You just want me to go in, Scott?
0: Yeah, if you could just... Um, yeah, I could cue you up something. Here we go. All right, go ahead. All right.
2: All right. This week's abolitionist in profile is the family of the Fortens, particularly the Forten women. Uh, the dates that we're talking about are from 1805 through 1883. The Fortens were one of the most prominent black families in Philadelphia. Wealthy sailmaker James Fortin and his wife Charlotte Van Deen Fortin headed the family. Their daughters were Margaretta, born in 1815, Harriet, born in 1810, and Sarah, born in 1814. The Fortins were active abolitionists who took part in founding and financing at least six abolitionist organizations, and their home was always open to visiting abolitionists. In December 1833, Charlotte and her daughters helped establish the Philadelphia Female Anti-Slavery Society, the country's first biracial organization of women's abolitionists, which drew all of its black members from the city's elite. Margarita was one of 14 women who drafted the society's constitution and was an officer throughout the organization's history. Sarah served on the organization's governing board for two years. Harriet frequently co-chaired the society's anti-slavery fairs. The Fordans also represented the society as delegates to state and national conventions. Margarita was a teacher for at least 30 years. During 1840, she taught at a school run by Sarah Maps Douglas. In 1850, she opened her own school. She supported the women's rights movement, working to obtain signatures for a woman's National League petition. Margarita never married and lived in her parents' home as an adult, as did her two younger brothers, Thomas and William. Sarah Forten Purvis was a writer. Starting at age 17, she composed numerous poems and articles for The Liberator under the names Magawasika and Ada. At least one of her poems, The Grave of the Slave, was set to music by black band leader Frank Johnson. Sarah and Harriet both married into another family of prominent black Philadelphian abolitionists, the Purvises. Harriet married Robert Purvis in 1832 and Sarah married Joseph Purvis in 1838. Both couples moved to an area about 15 miles from Philadelphia. In 1857, Joseph Purvis died and Sarah moved with her children to the Fortin family home. The household of Robert and Harriet Fortin Purvis became a major haven for abolitionists and fugitive slaves alike. In addition to raising her own five children, Harriet also raised her niece, Charlotte Fortin, later Grimke. Following the death of Charlotte's mother, she also pursued her public career as an abolitionist with her husband's wholehearted support. In her later years, Harriet lectured against segregation and for black suffrage. And New Abolitionist Radio salutes the fortin family.
1: Salute.
0: Well, we got uh, about two minutes exactly, so we—I guess we could go into our final comments. And I just want to thank. Uh, everyone uh who supports the work of the black talk media project therefore also supporting the work of the new abolitionist movement that was born with this program uh new abolitionist radio um our audience we have a pretty solid audience out there and i view each and every one of you as an abolitionist and i just want to thank you for being an abolitionist as we read these stories of abolitionists and profile like we do you might be that next grim key you might be that next person that next great abolitionist that future generations might read about so i'm saying the time for history is now not the time for i mean while looking back at history we can draw inspiration which is why we shared the abolitionists in profile but look We are in such a time where there is history to be made. Again, slavery was never abolished, so we should work towards that goal. So thank you all for being abolitionists.
2: Right on, right on. Yeah, I just want to uh, give a quick um, uh, notification to the listeners and regular followers of the program about the situation in Florida we uh, had one story we didn't get a chance to cover, but there is a settlement for the whistleblowers, who we followed that closely over a couple of years, a two-year time period where hundreds and hundreds, up to 300 people died in custody in the state of Florida, had to change out their website for the Department of Corrections to cover all the deaths, and mortality website. Uh, we talked about several other members of Congress in the state of Florida. The uh, Florida Senate had put forward legislation to to put out reforms and get greater oversight and organize the state and and help to bring this under control. This is the state where Darren Rainey was boiled to death. This is the state where, where Joseph uh Jordan Randall Laparo was maced to death. This is the state where hundreds and hundreds of brothers and sisters have been raped and murdered in custody in Florida's prisons. And we had some good uh, members of the Florida State Senate that were working to make change and brought those whistleblowers out of the Department of Corrections to tell what they saw and all of this change was on its way. And then we saw the Florida House kill those bills and completely gut those bills and then ultimately not pay. Then the House uh, left session just quit working. They stepped out. and said they were mad about a budget proposal and they just refused to work. So none of those laws were able to be passed. And So here we are two years later. Still people are dying in custody on a regular basis, still no legislation. And I found out today, even researching this more, one of the leaders in that movement, uh, Republican Senator Greg Evers down in Florida, he got voted out of office in November. So this is a systematic play to continue the slavery movement. This is what we're up against, people, is, is the system is continuing to move forward. So pick somebody that you ain't talked to about this. Find somebody to to, to present the, the modern abolitionist cause. To and next week when we come back, bring somebody with you. Peace to the abolitionists. Death to these oppressors.
1: Peace. Just lift your eyes up. If his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the sea spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the skies or deep deep in perdition. If our leaders are globally despised and always seem to rise through attrition or blatant nepotism. If women and children have to live in impossible conditions. If you have to die due to someone else's damn decisions. Rise up when innocent citizens perish for all our sins sake. If the future seems bleak and your soul's at stake. Rise up when it appears that any hope left may already be lost. If the price is your son or your daughter's life and you refuse to pay the cost if you ever had to ask God why in the thunder roll if you just once had to wonder have we sold our souls rise up for the life of an unborn child when the homeless are reviled and the masses are beguiled rise up when our doctrines dictate that we all deal in debt when we stop giving more and conference we stop now. caring less if the best we can do has already been done if the battle isn't won and the fighting just is be gone if you don't see none and know we really need one rise up rise up rise up rise up